Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we're joined by Jeff Brandon, call sign Vader. Vader is an experienced fighter pilot that currently hosts the Kodiak Shack podcast. He was fascinated to take the S2 Cognition evaluation and understand how his brain is wired, making split-second decisions while in the cockpit of an F-16. Vader paints a picture of the characteristics pilots face and the extreme demands in which pilots have to perform. He also details rapidly processing visual information, making a quick decision, and then executing that decision while in a dogfight. That interview is next, here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. We've got uh, Jeff Brandon on the S2 Cognition podcast today, call sign Vader. Uh, really appreciate you jumping on. Happy to have you on. This is a detour from some of our normal sports uh, podcasts that we that we operate in, but you, you guys, you especially as a fighter pilot, have to operate in such extreme fast environments. And I, I'd like you to really paint a picture for the audience and the listeners of the, the characteristics of you know, the things that you're facing, right, when you're up in the sky and the extreme demands in which you have to perform day in and day out. Can you just set the stage for us, you know, planes that you're flying, like your background, how you got here, the physical demands of flying, right? Everyone's like, oh, NASCAR is not a sport. It's like, well, it's it's kind of physical. You know, I know that's not a fair app comparison, but if you'll dive into all that for us, that would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for having me here, Brandon and uh, Scott. It's great to see you guys again. And uh, if you don't mind me calling you a hunter, it's uh, it's good to officially meet you. Uh, but yeah, so thank you again for having me here. Uh, so fighter pilot by trade. Uh, some of the younger guys would call me a washed up fighter pilot because I've been doing it for a little while now. Uh, but yeah, so I was a uh, mediocre student. So all the, all the moms listening, trying to tell your kids, you know, you can't, can't be good at something if you're bad at uh, middle school, turns out. Uh, but I got lucky more than anything. Uh, but yeah, so I, I found being a fighter pilot and what I got to explain to me as, uh, was you are riding a bull while playing chess with a 400 pound gorilla on your back. And, uh, having done that for, uh, over 10, over a decade now, uh, it's, it's a very good representation of what you're doing, uh, because as Brandon and Scott know better than I do, the the physical and the cognitive loading is uh, intense. And so the the emotions, you know, even we don't like to say it, but even like that fear, that survival instinct kicks in. Uh, but really flying planes. Went to pilot training in 2011, so it's been a little while now, uh, and then I got selected to go to the fighter track, which is uh, you learn in a fighter-type aircraft, and then you uh, was lucky enough to graduate out of there and get an F-16, which was my first choice for anybody watching. Uh, I don't know if we uh, put out video too, but uh, top left of my screen, maybe you're right, not sure, uh, is uh, my old aircraft, and um, either way, I flew that for uh, just about 10 years. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it is a challenge every single day, uh, because you're effectively doing what people do on the highway all the time, like analyzing line of sight, like, is that car getting closer or farther? That's your closure or, you know, are they moving laterally relative to me? Am I going to be ahead of that truck before I exit this off on ramp, or am I going to be behind that truck? We're processing all that stuff. Uh, 
but just in different ways. So everybody kind of uses the skill sets we have. Uh, we just apply them differently because in pilot training, you learn how to fly an aircraft. You're, you're a basic pilot. And then once you graduate pilot training, you go to what's called IFF or introduction to fighter fundamentals. Uh, and they, that's where they teach you to employ an aircraft as a weapon. Uh, and the first thing, and I, I apologize if this upsets anybody, but the, the first day they were like, welcome to introduction to fighter fundamentals. We're here to teach you how to, uh, kill people and break their things. And it's like, understood. So it's, uh, it's aggressive. It is a, is a mindset shift. Um, when you go when, with that undertaking, but it's, it's a deliberate focused effort of all of your skills that you hone over years and years to do the job right as frequently as you can. Vader, just, I, I, I have to know, do you, do you do any aircraft landing or is this? Yeah. The aircraft carrier. No, we don't. We don't. So I leave that okay. to the Navy guys. They, uh, they can spend their time doing that. I'll land on a, a runway that doesn't move. It's just nice and stable. And, uh, I'll spend all my effort fighting planes, uh, versus landing on carriers. Can you expand just a little bit on <clears throat> just again to to tap into the kind of the extreme conditions? I mean, the speed of the plane, the what are the the different engagements that you know from you know, the term dogfighting, right? I mean, what are the other engagements where you're called upon to see, process, react, counter react very quickly? So I think one of the areas. So we kind of view things uh, the way we execute in a kind of big to small or small to big, however you want to look at it. So we'll look like, hey, we're within visual maneuvering. So we're close to the other person. We can see the other aircraft with our eyeballs versus the other aircraft is 50, 60 miles away and we're maneuvering in relation to one another. So when you're closer, obviously a lot of these visual cues are going to be relevant. So uh, so what I would say is the the tasking and the loading happens always. But when you get closer that those reactions need to happen faster, instead of so talking about, Hey, I have nine to 12 seconds to make this happen. When you're close in, you have seconds, fractions of a second to, to make the decision and then put the inputs into the aircraft to get the output that you want. Um, and that's kind of how we look at things. So we'll brief though. We'll brief what we're going to do. We'll go fly and execute it. And then we'll debrief and we'll say, Hey, did we execute our plan? Did we succeed or fail? If we didn't execute our plan and we didn't succeed, then we know why. Because our plan, we deviated from our plan. But if we did execute our plan, but then we failed, okay, what was wrong with our plan? What was our execution that we did? So we have our perception, our decision, and then our execution. Like, hey, maybe I perceived the right thing. I decided the right thing, but then I, my execution was incorrect. My left hand and my right hand did the wrong things. And that's what's now uh, putting me at a deficit. So if you're, say I'm at 9,000 feet, uh, we use, um, we use nautical miles cause it, it makes more round numbers. So 6,000 feet is, is one nautical mile. So I'm at 9,000 feet or one and a half nautical miles, uh, from another aircraft. We're both traveling over 400 knots. Uh, so you think a knot is who, man, I'm not a, I'm not a smart man. I just fly airplanes, but the, uh, but I think it's, uh, what is it like 30% more or something like that for miles per hour. Either way, it's fast. Uh, so if I'm going 400, uh, it's like 300 and something miles per hour. Um, but you're both traveling those speeds and then you hit your start range in this case, uh, 9,000 feet. And then we would either call the range or we would say fights on. And that's when the fight happens. And now you get to maneuver however you want. So as a defender, 
you think you're flying a plane 400 plus knots. You're looking back over your shoulder, looking at the person that's a mile and a half away from you. He's a little dot in space out there. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to put my, the top of my aircraft or what we call our lift vector on him. Cause I'm going to keep create angular closure. I'm going to create range pro closure or problems. And I'm going to give him aspect or off of my tail. I'm going to show him this like, Oh man, I, how am I supposed to fight this guy? And I'm going to turn and just try to punish him with the performance of my aircraft. And then as the offender, you look out the window and you see this guy uh, just do this like bat turn. And you see a lot of what we refer to as plan form or like the top down view of an aircraft. And you're like, Oh man, like this is, here we go. And then, so you've now have to find that perfect spot in space where the, the defender perform that maneuver. And then you need to get right there and do the same thing or better than what the defender did. Because if you can oh, outperform him, and then we will pull up to, uh, and sometimes over when people make mistakes, uh, nine G's, which nine G's is, is just a multiplier of one G. So if I'm 200 pounds sitting in the airplane with an eight pound helmet on and, uh, all my flight gear, and then I pull nine G's, then I'm nine times my original body weight. So it's just, you, you feel your chest get compressed. It's hard to take a breath in. You feel the kind of like the weight of your body, uh, kind of settle onto your kind of skeletal structure effectively. Uh, and then you're like, here we go. And you're trying to stay awake because people put themselves to sleep, not to, uh, you know, I mean, Top Gun Maverick, I thought it was a great movie. I don't know how everyone else feels. Uh, but, uh, but they did a great job of showing what a, uh, what's called a G lock or G induced loss of consciousness, where you start to lose your color vision, then your vision starts to narrow and you get what we call tunnel vision. Uh, and then you'll just go to sleep. And, uh, and so it can happen if you're not physically on top of it. So you're, that's where the chess comes in. So you're playing chess cause you have to do the right move at the right time. But then you have that physicality of whether it's like a, a NASCAR formula one bull rider, you're physically have to stay on top of all that. So you can mentally perform, you know, because we come from the sports world, but how do you decide who's on offense and defense in sports? There's a ball, right? So how do you know? So we will, we'll have setups where it's, you will either start at a disadvantage. So think like wrestling, like, Hey, you're going to be on the bottom and then I'll be on the top kind of thing. Uh, and then we'll have very scripted setups. Like you will be defensive. You will be in a position of, uh, of a disadvantage. Do your best. And the whole thing is like the first objective is don't give up because there's going to be times where you've got like sweat pouring down your face and you're huffing and puffing. Cause you've just been maneuvering. You're looking back while you're doing all these barrel rolls in the sky, trying not to get shot. And you're like, just gun me, just shoot me already. Like I'm over it. And, uh, so that's where you're like, Hey, as a defender, just survive, you know, cause hopefully your friends are going to roll in and, and save you. If you're the offender, it's like, don't screw this up. Like you've got, you know, you've got an unimpeded run to the goal line. Like, I, I have to capitalize. And then we'll go out and we'll say, today we're neutral. We're going to start at a neutral merge, which will meet what we call high aspect. So think like cars passing on the highway, nose to nose, 180 degrees out. And then it's, uh, we, we call it like cleared weird, like whatever you want to do, whether it's a, a tactic or some sort of technique that you want to catch them off guard, because it doesn't always have to be tactically sound. If it's something they weren't expecting and then they lose sight or they're not able to keep up and then you win. So those are the ones that those cut a little deeper when you start neutral and you get beat and you're like, oh, that's that's going to sting. 
Well, Vader, you talked about something earlier that the counteract, we're going to get into a lot of this today to talk about like the cognitive processes that you have to engage at the elite level at which <laughs> fighter pilots have to engage the brain system. So Scott, he already kind of mentioned improv and I know we're going to get into that later, but it, that's what it sounds like, right? The, the movement, the counteract, if you're on offense, you're seeing him move and then now you got to move and, and either make it more efficient or make your move more efficient. Scott, will you talk about some of the processes that we measure. Yeah, we can all talk about it because Vader was, was a part of our initial discussions. Um, so, so S, at S2, we, we have ventured into military and law enforcement applications and where the stakes are a little bit different than uh, striking out and then going back to the bench um, or, or, or missing a catch and, and having to wait for the next series. Uh, and so when we start thinking about these extreme conditions in which we have to process information that is happening and changing fast, and we have to act, react uh, rapidly, quickly, uh, where there are big stakes. I mean, this, this requires a unique set of tools to kind of measure those rapid decision systems in the brain. And so we spent a lot of time with Vader and uh, talking about the unique cognitive demands um, and they, they really fell along the lines of what you just described, Vader, this kind of, you got to perceive things, you got to make rapid decisions, and you have to act and react. And, and that's kind of how we designed it. So we put this evaluation together, looking at some of these perceptual processing skills, these action control, the improvisation, as Harrison was talking about. You took the evaluation. Tell us about your experience of this evaluation and how you thought it, it may or may not have kind of captured some of the elements when you're actually flying. First off, I, I thought that was awesome. I thought it was so much fun getting to experience some of these tests and just, just challenge myself. And I think, you know, one thing that I've noticed, uh, I, I don't really know any, any professional athletes, but I, I assume they're pretty competitive. Uh, and, uh, turns out, you know, in the fighter community with the operators, you know, task force and, uh, people like that, like everybody's pretty competitive and you want to see where you stack up, even if sometimes in one particular one, you stack up pretty darn low. Uh, but that's all right. You know, you can't be good at everything. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was awesome to get to experience that. And, you know, we, we talked previously before I took the assessment about like, Hey, what are we trying to test? Uh, so while I was taking some of those assessments, I was trying to, to understand like, Hey, what, what relationships are there between what I'm doing now and what, what I would experience, uh, in the airplane? Uh, because there's a lot of, uh, one of them in particular, and you guys can speak to it better than I, but it's about, uh, I believe it's about kind of getting rid of that extra data, you know, focusing on in on the important information and then just utilizing that uh, to make a decision. And I think that is probably one of the, the higher things that has transferability in the fact that when you're flying airplanes, there's going to be, you know, you're going to, you could be hot, you could be cold. It can, the, air can be all, you could be bouncing around in the jet. The radios can be bad. You know, you can like the, it can just, the weather can be a problem. Like everything can kind of play in and you're like, Hey, I have to just kind of, you know, we call it compartmentalize, like put all these things out and focus on the task at hand. Uh, because that's, that's the only thing that really matters at achieving my objective. So I thought some of those were, uh, were a lot of fun at getting to to practice that skill set and, and apply it in a different way. But yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. That one you're talking about is distraction control. And uh, 
being able to lock in and block out distractions. And I remember something you said on the backside of taking the evaluation that that's an aspect of performance that can make that, that some young pilots uh, can struggle with is not being able to block things out. And it, it is so disruptive, not only to your, your focus, your attention, but in your execution, you become more variable and more prone to making mistakes when you are not able to really shield your execution and your focus from all the different uh, things that can momentarily or instantaneously capture or grab your attention. Yeah. And one of the things people don't really think about it is we talk so much on the radio. So, so much of what's going on is, is via voice. So we will have our fighter, which our fighter has sensors. It has a radar. It has interrogators. It has all these things that can glean information and then provide it to you. And then your jet has a bunch of lights and sounds and things that are providing you information. If you're getting shot by another airplane, your jet will actually start beeping in your ears and telling you, Hey, you're getting shot. Don't like notice what's happening. Um, and then most fighters, I would say, have two to three radios. So at any one time, you could be listening to three separate radios, which you can have calm on one, two, or all three. So now all of this can be happening at one time. And I mean, talk about, we, we refer to it as a helmet fire, you know, like you're just, you can almost look out the window when a young guy is like flying in a complex mission and almost see the smoke like sizzling off the top of the plane. Cause it's just like, oh man, that poor guy. And we've all been there, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is where you're like, okay, I, and, and we'll have it a lot. We'll go out and we'll execute. And one guy, all this is simulated. Of course, you know, he dies, he gets shot, simulated by the enemy. And then we come back in and it's like, Hey, did you? do you know you're getting shot here? And he's like, I had no idea. And even though he had visual depictions, he had audio, audio, like everything is like, you are getting shot. And then you listen to his tapes and it's like three people talking and you like see the jet bouncing around, you know, cause you can see out the front and you're like, Oh man, this guy was, he, he was in the trenches for a few minutes there. Do you ever shut off the auditory piece? It's an interesting concept because we're starting to, uh, we've gotten into, uh, race car drivers, um, which are which are a little similar, and they're getting feedback. And their, you know, their crew chief is talking to them uh, through the comms, and they have difficulty processing visual information when there is auditory. And that's obviously how you know the brain is set up to to you know um, when we think about how the 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 thalamic process is or uh, delegating what's most important, um, and you know, so the auditory can override that. And they're like, well, I can't drive where I'm going because I'm listening, I'm forced to listen to what you're saying. So do you ever have to make priorities like that in the fighter jet? Yeah, I think you do. And, and, you know, it's funny, I don't think we train to it. I think everybody just kind of finds their own way to their solution. But I mean, maybe we've all been there, you know, you're like driving in a new city, trying to follow directions and you turn down the radio because you're like volume. I was exactly, that's a normal person example of this exact phenomenon. And it happens to the best of us. Yeah. So the, uh, the unfortunate part is, is, is you kind of can't because what the problem is we'll fly in visual formations, which means I will be anywhere from half a mile to five miles from my wingman or two or three other wingmen. So there may be four of us flying in a visual formation. And then I have to look out the window and like, okay, I I'm seeing that person turn or he's going to say, Hey, like hook left, like turn around to our left. Um, 
So I, I can't just turn those off. But when I was young and I would say, hey, uh, when you're doing air to air, you will be 60, 80, 100 miles from the bad guy aircraft. And then you will ask for a picture and they effectively give you a word picture to 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 like a like painting of their words of like, hey, this is what's out there. And you have to like process that. And you're like, OK, there's three groups of people. They are in this shape and this is their relative lo to location. Uh, and I would close my eyes. So I would like roll out and I'd be like picture. And I would just sit there and listen, like not look at anything, not get distracted, be like, oh, that thing's scratched. You know, like I'm just listening right now uh, because that's that's all I could do when I was young. Like it, I was just it would get overwhelmed. And even now, like you find yourself uh, kind of getting into that space where you end up like getting task saturated or overwhelmed with different uh, stimuli, if you will. And you're now unable to, to glean the information you want because it's going to be geographic information, altitude information, a declaration, like, are they friendly? Are they unknown? Are they hostile? And so you have to process all that and then retain it. So later you can come back and be like, oh yeah, that's that, that is what that they said about that, which that was one of the other assessments we did where it kind of gave shapes and then it said like, Hey, replicate the shape of these squares. And I thought that one was way fun. That was, that was a good time. You thought all of them were fun because you crushed yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. Not surprising to the rest of us, but just so our audience knows these, uh, these fighter pilots, uh, they got some pretty serious brain hardware. I am not the smartest one. You know, I was like, I'm going to go be a fighter pilot. I'm going to be King Kong. And then I meet all these people who are like, I got my master's at MIT. And I'm like, poof, geez, I was a geography major, you know? So. <laughs> Well, that's one of the coolest things is that these split second decision systems, they're different than what you would use in a classroom. Yeah. Right. I mean, this, it is a different set of cognitive skills. I know one of them that we measure that may be kind of new to our audience uh, is an angle judgment. So, so how we use angles and it, it, it sits in our assessment of golfers punters, kickers, you know, where they're process processing angles and building complex angle structures to make decisions is so critical. Talk to us a little bit about that one um, and how angles and being pre as precise as you can with angles just factors into your decision making. Yeah. And I think uh, that would, that also, you know, it's getting to be a broken record, but that also is a fun one because, because uh, when you're flying around, we use, uh, we call it aspect angle, but it's effectively how many degrees am I off of the adversary? If I'm offensive looking forward at them, how many degrees am I off their tail? And what that means is how, how many problems, how much what's called radial closure. If, if I see a lot more angles, then I, he's going to be able to create a lot more closure for me as I go to, uh, go to prosecute with the gun. So the less angles I see, the more stable, the more reliably I can stay offensive and not have the adversary cause me problems that I can't solve in, in the reverse. Now I'm defensive and I'm looking back and I say, how many degrees off the adversary's nose am I? Because we kind of have the, Hey, they can shoot me with a gun. If I'm this many degrees within the nose and they can shoot me with heat seeking missiles. If I'm this many degrees from the nose. So when you're looking back over your shoulder, pulling the G's, you know, sweating, huffing and puffing, all that stuff, you're like, that looks like 50 degrees off of his nose. And it's like, it could be life or death. Cause you could be like, 
oh, it was 49. He got me, you know? And you're like, so, uh, so there's some of that. And, and again, a lot of that is just repetition of like, Hey, let's, let's see this over and over. I spent when I was young. Uh, so I went through all my pilot training the average person, uh, without any breaks, which I was lucky enough to be one of those takes about two and a half years to get from start to finish. So I went from March of 2011 to, uh, December of 2013. And I went from the nobody pre pilot training to a fully qualified F 16 wingman, the bare bones. I barely had the credentials to walk in the door and it took me that period of time. And that's about as fast as you can do it. I was, it wasn't because I was better. It was just the timing worked out where one class would end. I'd have a couple of weeks and I'd start the next one. Um, but it took me that whole time. So I just gotten out of that. Um, and I was going out and flying with a very experienced guy. And he said, what do you want to work on today? And I was just happy not to be in an upgrade anymore. So I was like, I'm just trying to chill. And he was not having that. So he, he was like, no, we are going to work on, uh, your ability to assess whether you're getting shot or not. And I was like, okay. So we spent an, like probably an hour and 10 minutes straight of just him showing me different side, side pictures. I would, what's called, I'd throw on a break turn. So I'd turn as hard as I could create as many angles as I could. And then he would show me different side pictures cause he was very good. And I would have to say like, that looks good or that doesn't look good. And I did that for over an hour and turns out like all those reps paid off. And then I understood what I was looking for more. Uh, and then, you know, that happens over a career and you just keep practicing those things and you get better and, you know, at perceiving them and processing and, and, and Scott and I talked about this where looking at something and actually processing and perceiving what I'm seeing, you know, and, and I think it was that like the diamond one or the side was cut out or whatever. And it, the, the faster and faster it would go away. And it's like, what did you see? And it's like, no idea, but you know, you can, over time, I guarantee you can probably build a habit pattern of what, what you're processing. And in the airplane, I feel like you look out the window and you're like, I saw that even though you, you may not even know that, you know, it, you kind of know that you saw it. I don't know. Does that make sense? You guys are, you guys are the experts. Yeah, absolutely. Those individual differences, uh, you know, certainly you can train yourself, but there, there also are some, some individual differences that govern how fast you're kind of your limit, the bumpers in the lane, if you will. And you saw a lot more of those missing corner rapid, you know, millisecond level, uh, flashing diamonds than most people on the planet do. So that's very helpful and very instructive. I think, you know, same with angles. I mean, we, we look at the variety of, uh, or the variability with which humans can judge angles and appreciate those one degree, um, being one degree off or, or, or one degree, uh, left or right or, uh, short or long. And, uh, there are differences. It's been remarkable for us as we're moving in, as Brandon alluded to, to, to NASCAR and now, you know, a pilot or two. And <clears throat> every single one of them has been on the <clears throat> elite spectrum of this angle judgment compared to athletes that also rely on this. So there's something here about this ability to, you know, stay a degree off of the wall if you're a NASCAR driver, or like you said, to appreciate just a degree where there's huge stakes as a as a fighter pilot. Um, so no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Brandon probably has some 
insights and thoughts well, about that. Too. Well, I just thought it was really insightful too that um, you bring up a good point and something that the S2 evaluation measures is really that cognitive capacity. And so your brain was sort of always wired that that way. And we always talk about here that you do have to join that up. You've got to stitch that up to the context. So it's like, you know, somebody who's never played at the NFL, their cognitive wiring is there, but it may take them a year or two of playing at that speed to really put that hardware to use in that game. And so for you, you know, this perception speed was, was clearly always there. That's the way you're wired. But it took you flying that F-16 for a while to be able to say with confidence and know and the reps, I saw that, you know, and I, and I know what I saw. Uh, you had to stitch all that together. So I think that really highlights the, you know, sort of the way you're wired and the way that you can bring that into your area of expertise. Because it, essentially that's what these elite athletes are and what you are. You know, you're an expert your sport at your, your uh, flying at flying a plane, you've, you've logged that many hours. And so you build up that tactical knowledge and awareness of, of all of that. And you really bolt on that cognitive hardware to your experience, which then makes you this sort of, you know, superhuman elite athlete, or, you know, you are an athlete, a fighter pilot, right? That reminds me of a story when, uh, so we'll go to the centrifuge. So when you get selected to go to the fighter track, you have to now get assessed for your G tolerance, your ability to handle G's. And it's not G's and flying G's and cognitive loading. It's literally like, are you, can you just stand up to the, to the punishment? Will you deal with it? And uh, so you go and you track to what's called T38s, which is the fighter track. And then once you're done with 38s and you're going on to another fighter, you will get uh, set off to the like, nine G profile, eight and a half G profile. And then it's like seven and a half or eight. Some. So going to the F-16, I have the nine G profile, which the F-16 seat is canted like 30 degrees aft, uh, which does help with, uh, with G's. Cause it's not like a pure vertical pull with the, with the G's kind of pulling the blood out of your brain is kind of more of a maybe transverse. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but the, uh, either way they, uh, so they put you in the centrifuge and the centrifuge, I would say the G's are bad. The like somatosensory, like your oodaloo, like your inner ear, you get so tumbled. And I mean, when I'm talking about tumble, they told me this thing, it's called nystagmus, where your eyes like click in your, like, yeah. And so I would like come out of that, like put my hands up, like, holy smokes. And then you would see like, click, 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 click. And it looked like the horizon and the scent, like the centrifuge was bouncing because my brain was so tumbled. Uh, so I was like, just put me under the G's again. Like I'll, I'll do that. But so they send you to, to see how your body handles that. And I think G tolerance is one of those things where the more exposure, the more experience you get to it, your body just kind of gets used to being punished in that way. And like, you know, over and over and over, you're going to get exposed to it. And then hopefully over time you, you get better at handling G's and then doing everything else. But they, uh, while we were there, uh, they were, uh, you know, cause every, every fighter pilot, you know, you want to be a professional athlete. And, uh, so they were like, yeah, you are occupational athletes. Your job requires you to be athletic. And my buddy was like, I'm like Tom Brady. 
I'm like Tom Brady. That's okay. Yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> I understand it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it cracked me up. My only exposure to the centrifuge effect was in the movie Spies Like Us with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, yeah. it sounds like that was a pretty accurate depiction based on what I, you I did. I can barely yeah. handle the Tower of Terror at, at Universal Studios. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Guys, when yeah, Southwest it's... pilots to make that left turn and they're popping that e-brake like we're in Fast and Furious, and my eyes are like, Whoa. I'm like, yeah. man, this is too much for me. I, I would never pass. I would never pass this evaluation. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, you're not cut out for this. It's funny because there were, there were so many things, you know, all the flying you do. It, you know, I talked to one of my buddies who uh, he he went to. Uh, I forgot where, but he'd, he'd had a lot of academic achievements before going to pilot training. And he was like the difference in pilot training is, is every day is a test every day you show up and it's like you specifically demonstrate your ability. So you can't just like sit in class and hang out for a while. You have to like fly the plane, do the things. And so he said that like, it was, it was very stressful, but what it did, it, it, it forces you to actually demonstrate your ability to do them. And, uh, and I mean, that's, that's what, uh, that's where I strive. Like my, like when I'm able to kind of like kick my feet up, I just, you know, I just throttle back so far where I need that thing to like really keep me like, you can't fail this. Like you have to do this. And I think that's where like hopping in the centrifuge, doing those things like that. I need that like almost like fear of it where it's like, oh, this is, this is high stakes, you know, like you have to do this well. And uh, yeah, the centrifuge was, was one of those where it just, it kicked my butt. And the first time I went, it kicked my butt. And then four months later, they're like, you're going back to do an even worse profile. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, this is not fun. But again, you just got to do it sometimes. Gosh, that's, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's how I feel around the dinner table at Thanksgiving. You just got to eat this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they Two are plates, the same. I think. Yeah. No way. <laughs> Three plates. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Vader, we didn't even get to touch on half of the other stuff we wanted to get into. So you're going to have to come back on. If if are we are we pulling your arm on that one? Or would you no, like to come I'd back love on? To. Yeah, I'd love to okay. come back. It's always fun hanging out with you guys. Okay. Well, at least the other two. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> we've moved into the last part of the podcast where we're going to go into, you know, three. These are more random than funny, but this is more focused on just you know, three random questions we wanted to ask you as part of the podcast. It's how we end the show. So uh, we know you're a very humble dude. Can you describe the the coolest move that you've m ever made in the air while piloting a, a fighter jet? Yeah, I would say, uh, whew, that's a good one. Um, I think my first, my first employment uh, in combat was uh, I dropped three bombs in one pass. Uh, and when we train, we train to drop one bomb at a time. Like you run in, get ready, drop a bomb. And it's like, yeah, success. And then the first time ever, I mean, I'm a, I'm a first Lieutenant. I am young. They're like, Hey, you guys are going to drop five bombs in one pass. And my flight lead was like, I'm going to drop two. You're going to drop three. And I was like, okay, I, I guess like, again, one of those moments where you're like, you just don't fail. Like, this is one of those times, like, I'm just going to do it. And, uh, and so we like turn out and luckily we, we sit there cause you know, the, uh, the gears of war grind pretty heavily when you're doing these kind of things. So we like get gas, we're just hanging out. So time goes by. So I'm like, again, sitting in the real airplane chair flying, I'm going to do exactly this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. And we're like, all right, here we go. Here we go. And he's like, all right, turn in. And they're like cleared hot. And that means like you are 
you are legal to engage and drop your weapons. And so like I do all three, everything goes off. Perfect. All five bombs hit in where they're supposed to, when they're supposed to. And I was like, Holy smokes. Like that was, that was <laughs> that's amazing. Just, yeah. Better to be lucky than good. You know, that's, so, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that somewhere before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite plane to pilot? Right. So F-16, I know was the main one, but is there one that really sticks out? You're like, Oh, I wish I got more time with her. Yeah. So I, I, I was lucky to spend the majority of my time in the F-16. Uh, so right now I fly the F-15C, which there's multiple variants of the F-15, the F-15C, the F-15E, and then the EX is on its way. Uh, so the F-15C is, is, uh, air to air only. It's like a, it's an air dominance fighter. Like that's what it's done. It came out a long time ago. Uh, I'm flying those old planes, uh, but it is, it's a muscle car. It's like a Chevelle or, you know, it's like a charger and it's supercharged. And it's, I was going to ask, can you give like car examples to each of these planes so we can see, I mean, you're going through these and I know everyone else is like, yeah, the EX, that's my Lexus. No, give yeah. me the, give me the, the actual car like translation. Yeah. So I would say the, the F-15C, the one I fly now, uh, is it's bigger. It's like a boat. It flies like a traditional airplane. Like I am, when I pull back, I literally am pulling back on cables that are connected to hydraulic hoses because the control surfaces are too large for a human to actually move them. But it's like, you're flying a real plane. So it's like, there's body roll. There's like torque of the thrust, you know, like if you've ever like driven a real muscle car, uh, and that's the C model. The C model, it's like, it, it's loud. They call it the Eagle roar. When you get real fast, you're like, Oh, like it kind of rattles a little bit. You're like, whoo, here we go. Um, and that's, it's fun in its own right because you feel it. And I would say the F 16, it's, they call it the electric jet. It's, I am it's a side stick, which is nice. Cause like, it's kind of like, kind of like sitting in a lawn chair. You kind of lean back, you have your hands to your sides. You got your throttle on your left and the flight controls on the right. And you pull back and it's a quarter of an inch of travel. And it's all based on how much force you apply. And it's smooth from 500 knots, 600 knots to 130 knots, smooth jet. You don't feel any torque, body roll. It's just like gliding in the air. And so it's almost like a, think like a Porsche or, or something like that, where it's like, or like a BMW. Like it is, it's meant to be on rails. It should feel smooth 100% of the time. And it is a powerhouse. Like we, uh, we refer, we always say it'll like, uh, it'll roll your socks down, you know, like you pull so many G's you're like socks roll down. Like that is the, the F 16 will do that. Cause you don't have to worry. The jet takes care of everything. I pull back and I say, give me everything you have. And the jet doesn't just dig in the, the stabs or the back. It says, I'm going to use every control surface to just melt your face. So it's, it's awesome. But then at the same time, you're like, <laughs> this thing will ruin your life. Like this is not good. Yeah. So, so yeah. they're, they're wildly different, but I would say, I mean, my first plane, the F-16, it is multi-role. It does a mission set called seed suppression of enemy air defense. And that is probably the most fun you can have in an airplane. I I've flown almost every mission set. Uh, so I feel like I can, I can probably say that that's accurate. Um, but it is, I'd have to say the F-16 with almost 1,500 hours flying it. That is absolutely amazing. Thanks for that beautiful breakdown. Okay, uh, last question is, this is all I'm going to say, and you touched on it a little bit earlier, but for the audience that has only been, you know, we've only seen fighter pilots happen in fight scenes and movies. When, I, when you watch Top Gun Maverick, your thoughts are, I want you to finish a sentence. 
surprisingly accurate. The uh, it's top the first Top Gun, which it's a classic. We love it. You know, if it's ever on TV, we're watching it. I tried to have my my son watch it with me, and then about four minutes in, I was like, I never noticed how much cussing. Okay, we'll, we'll watch this in a few years. But uh, but yeah, so, so Top Gun Top Gun's great, but wildly inaccurate. Top Gun Maverick, aside from some severe uh, flaws in the whole like. The yeah, just the premise. Well, just the premise <laughs> is like, oh. yeah, like, well, yeah, the jet disintegrating and you survive somehow. We don't need to get in the details, but the the premise of why super hornets have to fly instead of 35s, you're like, okay, I'll suspend disbelief. Um, but I mean, the flying, like how they fight, uh, the like we talked about before, like the G lock, like the the pressure on the human body while you're doing these maneuvers and you're doing these vector changes up these hills, flying through canyons, like that's real life. That is 100% real life. So when they're talking about now the fact that they're like, I'm going to dive into a canyon back out the other side, it's like, all right, well, you know, again, like I, I enjoyed the movie, so I'm not going to talk uh, too poorly of it, but they did a great job of giving real exposure. And if you watch that movie again, you look at their faces and what you'll see, you can go on YouTube or wherever and, and just Google like, like uh centrifuge videos and you'll see people's face. And that's why we say it'll melt your face. Like their faces like scrunch down and they go from like a 23 year old kid and they look like they're like 60 in a second because your literal skin is getting pulled off your skeleton. Uh And so it's, it's true. And you can see in the movie, their faces like Un, like under G as they fly. Uh, so you're like, Oh, they're, they're doing it. Like they are really flying in these planes. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought they did a great job shooting it. And I thought it was surprisingly accurate how much they did right and how little they kind of did the hand wave. Like, okay, you know, F 35s don't have two seaters. So that's probably why they didn't do the 35, but the, uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. And that, that's my take. Sorry for the long winded response. It, is exactly what we were looking for, right? I mean, that that's awesome. So, because the average viewers looking at that and the shots that they were creating and getting were just a shots I've never seen before. I've never gotten to see footage like that, right? I I don't get to fly all the time. Um, Vader, thank you so much for jumping on with us and just talking about all the different things that a fighter pilot has to do, uh, not only with their brain but also physically. All the different things you're having to do. We are going to have you on again because I, I learned a tremendous amount from today. So thanks again for jumping on and talking with us today. Yeah, thank you again for having me. And kind of last word is everything we don't do in the physical and cognitive side of these things, we're leaving something on the table. And that's why I think S two doing what you're doing, working with people like myself and other operators, it's it's amazing because. That's going to make the difference. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. How awesome was it getting to hear Vader talk through the processing information at rapid speeds while in a cockpit? If you like the content we're putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2Cognition and Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit our website at S2Cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. Talk to you on our next episode.